Good morning. So good to see each one of you this morning as we've gathered into this nice, cool house of the Lord to worship him. But also want to remind you that each one of you are the house of the Lord because the spirit of God lives in you and he's there to empower us, to help guide our lives and to help lead us into uh, the direction that God wants us to be. And so this morning, I invite you to stand. And uh, this first song we're going to start with talks about the joy of the Lord that's in the house of the Lord. So I want you to sing it out. In fact, why don't we just try this together? Can we all put our hands together? Come on now. There we go. Come on now. We're going to worship our God. All right, now, here we go. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Upon that cross, that he rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Surely in this place we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. 
righty. Well, you may be seated. We're going to um, be seeing a video here from uh, our friends in Romania. As you, uh, many of you will remember, earlier in the year, we sent some money to Romania because they are helping some of the folks in the Ukraine and helping the refugees that are coming across. And so they sent us a video to give us an update of how that money is being used to minister God's word and his grace. We had gathered some funds for a special offering and we had sent that out and then also taken some money from our missions contingency, um, quite a bit of money that was sent out to be able to do that. And if you ever wonder, um, how can I be missional? Um, this is one of the ways. You may not go on a missions trip per se, but there are many different forms of supporting missions, both in going on trips. And, and I've made four trips to Romania with Marcel and with Sammy and all. And uh, when we found out that they were going to be housing the Ukrainian refugees that would come from Bucharest and, and into that area, it really, the Lord put it on our heart to be able to send those resources so that they could supply those needs. And then Tryan, who you saw in the picture, uh, was part of the teams that was actually driving those resources over across the border and bringing them back. And we've done many camps um, with them to be able to do that. So we're going we're gonna to pray for them. Also, this is our, our fourth Sunday. It's our Missionary Sunday where we take a look at the missions and missionaries that we support. So every month we, we change missionaries and who we're going to pray for. So inside your bulletins, if you open them up, you'll find in the, in the stapled section in the upper left-hand corner, the missionary for the month that we're going to be focusing on for the next month of July actually coincides with um, our focus on VBS, and that's the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Yeah, and really understanding the value of life. We are created in God's image, Imago Dei. And the ability to celebrate life from inception is, is imperative. And I don't think it's by chance that God, who has saw fit to be able to do some things in the court, to be able to, to bring that truth to light. We have a missionary uh, and a missional movement here with Crisis Pregnancy Center. Those baby bottles uh, that we've been collecting for a month that have all been donated, that's great. We want to be able to continue to pray for the resources. There's a list of prayer uh, requests that are here. Praying for the protection and the safety of the building and staff and working with the clients. And at the time of this writing, uh, the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision had not been made. We know it's been made. Um, and for the new director, Terry Deaton, who is working towards um, creating a larger footprint for the Pregnancy Center and, and ministry outreach that's there, for gospel presentation, for the young women that would come in, for volunteers that would come in and minister to those young women and, and young men that do come in to the Pregnancy Center, and for a clinic. One of the things that we've been praying for is an ultrasound uh, machine and technician that would be able to work there and bring that to light. So a lot of things to pray for. And so we're going to, let's spend a few moments just praying. Also, we're going to ask the ushers to come forward for this morning's tithes and offerings as we worship through giving. And uh, that is the way that we can continue to worship in totality. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us life and that much more. And you value life. You, you have breathed life into man. Man that you created in your image. And God, we know that because we are image bearers, 
all life is valuable to you. Whether it's the newborn or those that are seniors. And everything in between. God, we cherish the life that has been given to us to be able to be your ministers of the gospel of peace. We pray for those that are in Ukraine, those that are displaced. I pray for Marcel and, and Harmony Church as they host multiple families and provide multiple opportunities of outreach. The food that's going out, Lord, may it go out and minister to those physical needs, but also, Lord, we know that the, the church that is uh, serving in Ukraine, that they can minister to the spiritual needs. Lord, we pray for Terry in the Christ Springs Center, asking God that you would direct her and, and give her wisdom and discerning on how to work through all of the um, aspects here in Columbia County. Lord, we know both sites, whether it's up in Rainier or here in St. Helens, are active in serving you. We pray for volunteers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, God, so we pray you would send forth those laborers. And Lord, we know that we're part of the bigger work. That uh, the bigger work and, and the bigger church is not WCF. It is your body working together. And we want to be that body. Lord, we thank you for the resources that you provided to us as families. We want to give to you the first fruits of that which you've given to us in honor and worship. As an act of worship, we bring these to you and ask your blessing upon them. Lord, may you multiply their use and may it meet the needs of the people. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
stand in your presence and be reminded of your great work for us and that we can honor and glorify you for you are seated at the right hand of majesty on high this morning and we worship you and bow our knee at your footstool you are our lord you are our savior you are our king and we worship you and give you all the honor glory and praise in jesus name amen you may be seated find your way over to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 to 42. Rather long uh, section of, of scripture we're going to cover this morning. William Temple once said this, quote, Christians are called to the hardest of all tasks, to fight without hatred, to resist without bitterness, and in the end, if God grants it so, to triumph without vindictiveness. That is a powerful quote. When we think about our lives as Christ followers and, and the, the force that the Spirit-empowered church can be and should be within the world today. To be able to speak truth and love. To be able to challenge the, the realm of darkness within this. And as the Spirit-empowered church, as we've been studying through Acts, moves in both the time of the apostles, but also in the time today, we are coming against spiritual forces that are intense, aren't we? Satan wants to shut us up. Satan wants us to stop. The world system and the kingdom of man wants the church to be silent and not to speak out. But when the church walks in, in 
the power of the Spirit, the church is united, the church is magnified, and the church is multiplied. But when Satan challenges the church, what he wants to do is he wants to divide the church, to disgrace to their church, and to the decrease the church. That's Satan's whole gig, is to try to try to stop the work of God. And so we see that we are part of these two forces that are going head to head. When we evaluate the church today, and we should, it gives us the condition and it helps us to understand where we're at. Where are we at in this whole cosmic battle that is taking place within this? Are we a growing church or a declining church? When I talk about a church, I'm not talking about WCF. I'm talking about church universal all over. And so I wanted to take a look at a couple of different things. In 2021, there was a LifeWay research study that had gone through and done a data analysis. And out of three dozen denominations, they found that 4,500 churches had closed their doors in 2019 while only 3,000 churches started. So when we take a look at the net, the net, it's about a 1,500 church loss. Today, the study shows that the median worship attendance of churches in the U.S. dropped from 137 people to 65 people. The average church attendance went from 137 to 65 and since COVID-19, attendance has dropped 45% of church attendance, with church attendance on the decline. And church closures, closures has become a pandemic within that. We are seeing more churches shut than start. We are seeing less people attend in person than, than have before. And we look at that, and we've we got to recognize the fact that there is a, a darkness, a force that is driving the church to be silent. Why? Because if the church becomes silent, then evil runs rampant. Satan has his way. Now, granted, the church today may not face the same persecutions as did the apostles that we're going to be studying in Acts. At least the Western church. The Eastern church does. If you ever read Voices of the Martyrs and you take a look at the accounts, there are many people being persecuted and put to death for their faith and struggling. We think about just even the video of the Christians that are coming out of Ukraine, the Christians that are in Romania and, and such. It's a difficult place. And so that Satan wants to silence the church witness. He wants to disgrace the church leadership. And he wants to divide the community of the church, even in amongst themselves, getting Christians to fight other Christians. Should that ever be? No. No. So we need to understand what our place is. Now we're picking up today in Acts chapter 5, where Luke is writing to Theophilus, lover of God, the things that were happening in the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. It's called the acts. And many say it's the acts of the apostles, but I really think it's more the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, empowering the apostles to establish the early church. 
And within this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was working through this young church as they were continuing to grow. They were continuing to proclaim the gospel. And, and it was brand new to all the hearers. They couldn't comprehend everything. They didn't have a written Bible. They didn't have established church. This was all new. This good news that was taking place, especially to the Jews. And it was being established through miracles. The healing of the sick and, and the casting out of demons and all of these signs and wonders were authenticating the ministry and the message that the apostles were bringing out. But as the church was growing, so grew the opposition. The louder the church speaks, the greater the opposition. And we've got to understand that that is the case. Because the vast number of people that were coming to faith in the time of Peter and, and John and all the apostles, the amount of people that were coming to faith there in Jerusalem was challenging whom? The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the time. They were looking at this, this movement that they just couldn't stop. And that is awesome. The fact that we can take a look at this and know that Satan will not win. That at, at best chance they try, he tries to stop, but he can't. Why? Because the empowered witness of Christ cannot be silenced. You may be silent, but I can tell you this, the Holy Spirit... If he doesn't choose to use you, if you don't open it up, if you don't continue, that witness is going to go out somewhere. And I love the fact that, that Marcel is sharing that witness with that family and the other families out of Ukraine and that they're taking the goods in. I love the fact that our church continues to work with missionaries that are sharing that witness and, and all about that. But what about Columbia County? What about us? What about you and your house? Will you remain silent? I hope not. We're going to walk through these passages. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through our section this morning. We stand out of respect for God's Word. It's rather long. Hopefully your legs could hold out. If they can't, that's okay. You can sit. That's fine. But as I read this section, make this your prayer. God, open the eyes of my understanding that as I see these words and hear these words, they're going to pierce my heart and that, Holy Spirit, you would be the teacher. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out to the streets, laid them at the cots and the pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up along with his associates, that is, the sect of the Sad Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prisons and taking them out, and he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak, began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and set orders to the prison and the house for them to be brought. But when the officers came 
didn't find him in the prison. They returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, These men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Well, then the captain, along with his officers, and proceeded to bring them back without violence. They were afraid of the people that they might get stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intent to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostle answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand and as the prince and the savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up the council, gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody in a group of about 400 men joined with him. But he was killed. All who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census, drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it'll be overthrown. But it is of God. You will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. Well, they took his advice. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them. And ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then released them. And so they went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer the shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Could you imagine? Could you imagine going about just the things that God has called you to do and having to take that kind of a stand... A public stand in preaching the name of Jesus when it was a very dangerous situation? Luke gives us this summary in this first section, really, of what was going on and how the church was going. And it was Spirit-empowered. They were walking in the Spirit and they were teaching and preaching in the Spirit that was there. And we know that the church was growing in Acts chapter 2. Peter, one of the most unlikely people you would ever imagine that would stand up publicly and preach. Remember Peter? He's the guy that did what? Denied Jesus to a little girl, servant girl. And now he was preaching. Over 3,000 people get saved. And then later, in Acts chapter 4, he gets arrested for doing the same thing. They bring him in. They said, you shouldn't be teaching 
in this name. We don't know what to do with you. Just stop it within this. And so these religious leaders saw Peter and John and the whole movement called the way, which is what it was called, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they gave it the name, the way, this movement. And these religious leaders that were in charge of Israel in Jerusalem had to keep the peace because the Roman occupation didn't like riots. And it was growing. By now, it's well over 5,000 people had come to faith and they're gathering together in the temple, on the temple mount. Right under their nose. Could you imagine this, this movement that is there? And how does it work? It works by the power of the Spirit. God was doing something amazing. What was the amazing thing that was happening? People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. The sick were coming and being brought to the apostles for this incredible work and the power of the Holy Spirit. God was authenticating the message based on the work of the Spirit and the healing. In other words... A supernatural event was authenticating a supernatural message that was transforming lives. And as people were coming and they were seeing, they were hearing, and they were believing and coming to faith right there on the Temple Mount in the Temple Courtyard. And the irony is this. Where were they doing? The text tells us Solomon's portico. Now, you go, well, wait a minute. Why is that a big deal? Well, on the Temple Mount, which is this huge platform, you have this big courtyard, and around the east side of the wall is a colonnade, a covered colonnade, and it's where all the merchants were, it was the people hung out, they were in the shade. Well, basically it was open-air preaching on the place of worship, the central place of worship of all of Jerusalem, and they're there, and they originally got arrested in this place, they got hauled off, told, don't teach in his name ever again. And what did they do? They went right back to the place that they were told not to do this again. The interesting thing that we find out about Solomon's portico is it became the epicenter for the teaching, the public ministry of the apostles. If you wanted to know where to go to hear from the apostles of the way, this is where you went. And so they were consistently in this public square, in this place, teaching and preaching. Peter and John and all of the people in this powerful apostolic ministry. And the other thing that we know that this was a work of God, because the text tells us they were all of one accord. A mass diversity of people from different walks and different faiths and understandings were all coming together and they had unity. Try getting along with everybody. There was no committees. There was no formalism. They all got together centered on one faith in one God, one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the main thing was Jesus. And they were on one mission, one vision, preaching Jesus. Now, it's interesting. The text tells us in verse 13, none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. What does that mean? So if they were super popular, all the people were coming to them. It says none of the rest. Who were the rest? Well, in context, the rest would be believers. Now you say, well, wait a minute. 
I thought they were one of cord. Why didn't believers want to hang out with the apostles that were there? Well, the text doesn't tell us clearly, but there's two obvious reasons. One, we had already studied about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? When they came to Peter and they presented themselves as being all that, right? What had happened to them? They did what? Ananias, Sapphira, dropped dead. So some of them may have looked at this and went, hmm... Anybody that hangs around Peter, if they've got sin in their life, they're dropping dead. I think I'm staying home today. That's one possibility. The other possibility are those that didn't want to open themselves to open persecution. Because to find themselves associated with the apostles, if there was a uh, temple guard sweep, they could get caught up in the sweep. So they said, you know... We are really believing, but we're not into the evangelism because we're really not there. But we will hold them with high regard within that. So we see this tension that is there of the public proclamation of ministry, but also the tension that is beginning with those that are going, I don't know if this is really for me. Does that hinder the ministry? No, because we still know that they were of unity of one mind. And we also know that the oppressive Jewish council was watching. They already made known in Acts chapter 4 that we're watching you within this. And so there's a challenge. Is there a tension that we find in our Christian journey of when to speak and when not to speak? Sure. How do I line myself up? What exposure do I want to have? Maybe on the job, where you know that by being outspoken, it may put you in jeopardy? Sure. And that's a personal conviction. It's interesting to me that the text doesn't condemn them. It just recognizes the fact that there's this tension that exists in associating within this. And yet there was still a unity within the church. The other thing that I think is important to recognize in, in Luke's summary is this, that the empowered ministry is attractive. It's attractive to those that are in need. The text tells us that there was people that were outside of Jerusalem that are hearing about amazing things. Now, can you think about something else about this time, maybe a little bit earlier, that was an attractive ministry that was drawing people from all over the land to one location for the purpose of being served? Whose ministry was that? Jesus's. In Galilee, when Jesus went Galilee, he did 80% of all of his miracles that were all in Galilee. And people were coming from all over Decapolis and all over the region. They were bringing their sick and the demon-possessed and all these people. Why? Because Jesus had the answer that nobody else had answers for. He had the solution to their physical need. It was attractive to them. And it was meeting physical needs. Yes, they were preaching in the temple. But they were also meeting physical needs of the people, the sick, the infirmed, the demon-possessed. That was all part of the evangelism that is there. Billy Graham used to say, many evangelists need a hook in order to be able to land that person in faith in Christ, to be able to get them to that place. And so within that, what is the hook? What is the thing that demonstrates the power of God into salvation better than the power of God over demon-possessed people? 
Does God have the power to save? The answer is yes. Can I believe Him under the power of save? Yes. Why? Because He's demonstrating that power physically in a temporal manner. And so within that, yes, ministry is attractive when, when the church does things outside of the box of the world. Brings solutions and answers and those kinds of things. That's why the church needs to look different than the world. Be loving and kind and meeting people's needs. The ministry, this particular ministry was full of signs and healings. The power of God unto salvation. And they were bringing those that were physically sick from all over the place within this. They were practicing the ministry of Jesus. How do we know this? Well, in Mark chapter 53 to 56, it says, When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. That's the Galilee area. They moored to the shore. They got out of the boat. Immediately, the people recognized him, ran about the whole country, began carrying here and there on their pallets those who were sick in the place they heard where he was. Wherever he entered a village or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace, imploring him that he might just touch the fringe of his cloak, as it may be touched and be cured. We look at this and we go, wow. They have enough faith. That simple seed of faith. I can tell you this, church. When someone comes to you with a need, that is a divine appointment that God has afforded to you. Meet the need with the opportunity to preach the gospel, to share Jesus with them. If someone comes and they say, well, I have a physical need. Yes, you can meet that physical need. And what you're looking to do is not just meet the physical need, but meet the spiritual need. Let me help you with whatever it is that that is going on. You need to be able to pay rent. You need help with this or help with that or food on the table. Let me meet that need. But what's going on with you spiritually? Ask that question. Just meeting a physical need alone without asking the question, how are you doing with God? Makes you just like the social services of the world. What makes the church different? When we meet a physical need, but we look at the spiritual man and we speak into the spiritual man. Or spiritual woman as it, as it is. Meet those needs, but ask the question, how are you doing with God? That is imperative. The people were looking for help. You look at some of the different things that Luke accounts for, both in the account with Jesus, but also here. They were laying their pallets and their, plats, their, or their, pallets and their cots down, hoping that Peter's shadow would be cast upon them and they would be healed. Now, it doesn't tell us whether that happened or not. But what it does say is this, that they were under some cultic superstition that the shadow of the holy man might bring some healing within that. What I read in this is that they were hungry. They were desiring that touch. I can tell you this. You are all ministers of the gospel. You are all capable, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to bring that touch to people. Are you? Don't refuse to preach the gospel through the ministry of touch. Or the ministry of presence. Share with them love. And share with them Jesus. We understand that even in Paul's ministry, Acts chapter 19 verse 11. 
was so powerful. People were kind of doing the same thing. It says this, and God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. Diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Now we know in Paul's ministry that happened. In Paul's ministry, they were taking things, articles of clothing from Paul, and they were laying them on people, and people were being healed. Can we make a doctrine of the holy, holy handkerchief? No. God does unique things at unique times and unique ways for His purpose and for His glory within that. So within that, understand, whatever context of ministry you find yourself in, be ready to share Jesus. You're empowered in the context of ministry, to be able to serve other people and to be that witness, regardless of the cost. The main text, really, though, is verses 17 to 42. We have a narrative here where, once again, the ministry escalates in, in prosecution. In Peter and John, they'd already been commanded not to teach. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, 18 to 20, we see it in context. It says this, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, or rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking of that which we have heard. Now I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Because Peter and John are basically saying, look at, you, you be the judge. You be the judge whether or not it's right or wrong. We're going to leave that with you. But for us, we're going to keep teaching. Now, were they disingenuous in their answer? Did they fake it? They are pretty clear. But they left it open and said, you figure it out. If it's a, it, it, that's on you. But we're going to keep teaching. So they didn't leave anything in the grays. They never planned to stop teaching or preaching in the name of Jesus. So they didn't lie to them. They just basically said, we're going to keep doing what we're going to do because we need to keep doing what we're doing because we're under God. But what Luke gives us in his narrative is this progressive persecution. Understand this. If you're going to take a stand for Christ, if you're going to continue to teach, to preach, to take a stand, Satan is going to ratchet up the persecution. It's going to happen. And so within this, we find them first saying, well, you know, we're going to take out Jesus. Maybe that'll stop it. No, that didn't stop it. Well, we're going to bring you in and say, we really don't want you to teach anymore. But then it's going to go to, oh, no, we really don't want you. We're throwing you in prison. And then they're going to be let go. And then they're going to be rearrested. We really don't want you. In fact, we're going to kill you. Well, that didn't work for Jesus, but Gamaliel brings a little bit of peace, and then they beat them, and then we're going to see next week where Stephen is killed. Satan will ratchet up the persecution to try to silence you. Will that stop you from taking a stand? It shouldn't. God's enemies are going to seek to stop the evangelism there. In verses 17 all the way down to 32, what we see here is, is something that is interesting. It says, the high priest, while they're in the temple, up on this platform, and they're teaching, the high priest says, rose up along with his associates, the Sadducees, and they were filled, note, with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them into prison. 
You say, well, what does all that mean, Carrie? Well, you've got to understand, there were three groups of leaders in the Sanhedrin, the council. The Sadducees that didn't believe in anything spiritual. No life after death, no miracles, no angels, no nothing. Then you've got the Pharisees who were the spiritualists. And they do believe in, in things eternal, as you'll see Gamaliel is a Pharisee. And then the Herodians, who were the traitors, because they were the religious leaders that really followed after Herod. So you've got this, this group of 71 that all stand up. The high priest, who was a Sadducee, which means what? He didn't believe in anything spiritual. Is seeing this crowd growing again after he just told them, stop it. And it says he was provoked with jealousy, anger within this. The word jealousy in Greek is zelos. Or zeal within this. And so within this, he was zealous against them. He had great zeal and he seized them, laid hands on them and threw them. The other thing that you've got to read when you study God's word, look at the words. What kind of jail were they thrown into? A public jail. Why did the Sanhedrin, why did the, the high priest take them and throw them into a public jail? Why didn't he put them in a private jail? Special jail, separate jail. Why a public jail? Hang on to that thought. Why did they take Jesus and publicly beat him, march him through the streets with the cross, and hang him on a cross in a public crucifixion next to two thieves? Why? In order to disgrace the ministry. Satan wants to disgrace the ministry. And so he arrested them publicly from there. Look at we are arresting all of the apostles. And we're going to take them all we're going to put them in a public jail. Why? Because they are criminals. Therefore, don't listen to them. And that is going to be one of the things that you have to understand. When you stand up for the gospel... Satan is going to try to disgrace you, publicly disgrace you. Now, we all have problems with our reputation, and many times we feed that disgrace, don't we? We say things, we do things that we shouldn't do that doesn't necessarily represent Christ. But understand, if you're going to take a stand for the gospel, the enemy is going to try to bring these things out to disgrace you and discredit the ministry in order to silence the gospel, because what he's going to say is, you shouldn't listen to Kerry. Have you heard what he said when he was out fishing and lost that fish? Cussed like a sailor. I didn't do that. You look at this. Or did you hear how that parent talked to their children and they called themselves Christians? Satan is going to try to grab a hold of anything he can to try to discredit and disgrace that ministry. Church, please do not help him. Please. When you're taking a stand and your witness is sure, you need to be able to take that stand in purity. They were thrown in prison, but the question is, would prison silence them? They throw them into prison with this. We look at 19 to 21a. It says, during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the gates. Now, this one is cool. There is some really cool stuff in the Bible. But this one, to me, is like really cool. When God does something amazing within this. You've got a picture of this in your mind. Okay, so you've got 
all, let's call all 12, so let's say Matthias is there. We don't know, we're not given a number of how many are there. We know Peter and John are there for sure. They're all taken, they're all put into this public prison, right? Sanhedrin's going, well, it's late, we're going to get them in the morning, we're going to interrogate them in the morning. So they're in this prison at night. They're hanging out in this public prison at night. Everybody knows that they got arrested at night. And there's guards, and there's locked doors that are in there. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes up and says, guys, we're leaving. Unlocks the doors. This group of disciples, apostles, all walk out. Mind you, past guards. And it doesn't say it, but it implies it. They'll say it later. They come back. The doors are locked. They come back. Angel says, okay, everybody out. Angel shuts and locks the door while there's a guard standing right there. Now, to me, that is hilarious. It's like, really? You think you can hold these guys? Do you imagine being one of the apostles, though? Like Peter and John walking by this guy going, shh, shh, be quiet. Angel's got, they can't hear you. And just walking by and walking out. To me, that's an amazing testimony that God sets the captives free. That these guards were unaware. That everything that happened... And the other thing that is interesting is this. The angel says, when you get out, go back and teach again in the morning. Now, the human understanding is like, wait a minute. I've been arrested twice. At the same location. Why do I want to go back to the same place and get through it? You know, I've dodged this bullet a couple of times. But the angel says, no, you go back to the same spot and teach again. Why? Because God is sovereign. And there's this principle. And they do. And they do. They go back to the same place. They don't run and hide. Now, if you want to understand what an empowered life looks like, look at these disciples. Because what happened the last time when Jesus was crucified, where do you find the disciples? Hiding in the upper room. But now they're publicly preaching. Without fear. Meanwhile, the council in verses 21 to 24 is unaware of what's going on. They get together, they get up in the morning, they go to have their meeting, they all come together. What's the first order of business? First order of business is to interrogate these apostles. Let's get them all together. Go get them. So they go to get them. Can you imagine being that guard? I'm here for the apostles. Okay. Guard that's standing at the door opens up the door and went, uh. Imagine that hole in the pit of his stomach. Uh, there's no one in here. Were you here all night? Yeah. Door was locked. Door was locked. Can you imagine being the, the guy that has to come and report that? Um, we lost them. What do you mean you lost them? We lost them. All 11 of them? 12 of them? You lost everyone that was there? Yeah, they're not there. What do you mean they're not there? Was the door locked? Yeah, the door was locked. You ever lost something and you ask, start asking really dumb questions? They're just dumb questions. Trying to rehearse, trying to wrap your head around it. What do you mean? Was a guard there? Did he fall asleep? No, he didn't fall asleep. How did that happen? I don't know how it happened. And then somebody comes into the council chambers and said, I know where they're at. Where are they? Uh, they're back at Solomon's portico. 
And the captain of the guard goes and grabs him. And he's looking at this crowd. And, and the irony is this. The picture is just amazing to me. Because the captain of the guard comes to him and says this. Um, guys, I know you just got out of prison. Do you mind coming with us right now? And the first text says they laid hands on him and they pulled him. The second text says... They didn't because they were scared that the crowd would stone the soldiers, when they, the guards, when they would come there. Do you mind coming with us? Okay. And they go, and they go stand before the council that is there. They stand before this council, and the council says to them, Look, didn't we tell you, didn't we tell you not to speak in this name? It's interesting to me. That they're hanging on to this. The blindness that takes place. They don't ask the question, how did you get out of prison? They are still so focused on shutting them up. That they say, how, didn't we tell you? We were exerting our authority over you. Didn't we tell you not to preach in this? Wait a minute. You have no authority over us. We just got out of your prison. The insanity that takes place in this conversation that is there is amazing. We gave you, verse 28, strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. No, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's hyperbole, but it's growing. But notice what they say next. Not only have you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, but you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They can't even say the name Jesus. You filled it with teaching, but you're making us guilty for this. Really? In Matthew chapter 27, at Jesus' trial, verse 25, it says this, And all the people said, His blood shall be upon us and our children. Do you remember that conversation with Pilate? You're making us guilty of killing Jesus. And you are. Because the preaching of the gospel preaches Jesus Christ crucified. But Peter does something amazing. And this is so cool. Peter turns the table from being the interrogated to the interrogator within this. Notice what he says to them. He says, we must obey God rather than men. In Acts chapter 4, he had the conversation, you be the judge. But here in Acts 5, he says, oh no, I'm not playing soft with you anymore. We are obeying God rather than men. That's non-negotiable. And, yes, you are guilty. Because then he preaches the gospel. Now, it's interesting because if you read this as an interrogation, you could read it, you are guilty. But you'll miss the point where he offers the chance for forgiveness. In this gospel message. Within this, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death. You're guilty. And God raised him or ascended him into heaven as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and your part of Israel and forgiveness of sins. You're guilty. But God can forgive you of your sins. Notice how the gospel is presented in there. You're guilty. 
but God can forgive you of your sins. What a blessing to be within this. To confess and repent. He preaches that gospel message. And he says, we are those witnesses. But notice the hardness of their heart in verse 33. It says, when they heard this, it was cut quick. Literally in Greek, it re- means to be sawn in two. It, it pierced their heart, cut them in half within this. And Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, I'm sorry, a um, yeah, Pharisee within this, who was well-respected, spoke to the council and he says, look it, don't fight against God. Here's two examples of people that thought that they were all that, Thaddeus and Judas. They raised up people, they ended up dying, their, their people scattered. If this is of God, you can't stop it. Question, was Gamaliel right? Absolutely he was right. He was right because you cannot stop the power of God unto salvation. You can't stop the preaching that is there. You can't, verse 39 to 40, you can't fight God and win within this. So what did the council do? They said, okay, here's what we'll do then. We're just going to flog them for disobeying our order. And then we're going to send them out. Now, the beating dates all the way back to Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 3. And it says that he may beat him for 40 times, no more, so that he doesn't beat him with any more stripes than the brothers. So he says, okay, we're going to take him out and beat him, 39 stripes, and then send him and say, don't teach anymore. So all of them, they all got 39 stripes, and then they're going out and saying, thank you, God, for beating us. Thank you, God, for counting us worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It's one thing to be persecuted because you're a jerk. You get what you get because that's what you deserve. It's totally something else when you're taking a stand for Christ and you say, Jesus, in all honesty, I'm loving people. And what's going on right now, I... I don't know, but I'm trusting in you. Thank you for choosing me to go through this. The other thing that I think is interesting in this as we wrap this up is what we would determine as being unfair the apostles rejoiced in. If you are a Christ follower and you refuse to remain silent, you will be treated poorly. And you may say, it's not fair. Does that really matter? Nope. Did they treat Jesus fairly? Nope. Did they treat the early church apostles fairly? Nope. Just make sure that you are taking that stand for Christ. Luke ends his narrative with this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they were teaching and preaching. Did that stop them? The answer is absolutely what? No, and over 2,000 years later, we are benefactors because they didn't stop preaching the gospel. Aren't you glad that the apostles didn't listen to the Sanhedrin? What would have happened to you if they did? The gospel message would not have continued and you would not be saved. Think about all that are yet to be saved and how you can be part of that salvation message. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us
the power unto salvation, to be able to preach and to teach and to share. It's a powerful ministry that's going to provoke God's enemies to cause us to, to be silent. It's a powerful ministry that leads people in faith to Jesus, but also, Lord, it's a powerful ministry that we have been made stewards of. May we refuse to be silent as we preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And it's the power of you, God, unto salvation. Lord, I pray for those that even now are having a difficult time taking that stand in faith. May they decide to take a stand. May they decide to share you, Lord Jesus, with all that they come in contact with. Empower us for that work of ministry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly armory, enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. not fear what man can do, but out of respect and honor, serve you with all our heart, soul, and mind. You've called us to make disciples. May we do so in the power of the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit. God, we thank you for our time. Leave for this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you for your love and your mercy, the power of your Spirit to transform lives. Lord, we know that, that anything that we do is not going to be lasting or eternal, but it's got to be something you do. Father, we know that we are in a, a battle and that there are spiritual forces that are against us. They're against us because they're against you. And Lord, we know that uh, so many times that, that we cave in. Give us boldness to preach truth in love and to be able to walk in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. 
and, and to see people come to faith. Lord, may you add to the church daily that you would have to be saved. May you be honored by everything we say and do. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.